Welcome to Seafoodie, a podcast series that seeks meaningful conversations about the issues surrounding seafood and the complex system that gets it to your mouth. I'm your host, Chef Robert Jones, and I interview guests from all over the country who make up the fabric of our seafood supply chain. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a report that was just released that recommends the creation of a National Seafood Council to run a nationwide marketing campaign encouraging Americans to eat more domestically produced seafood. This is a common practice with other agriculture industries. Just think about slogans like beef, it's what's for dinner, and pork, the other white meat, that were seared into your brain in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Our two guests were authors of this comprehensive report and talked to us about the importance of the effort. From Fort Pierce, Florida, we're joined by Dr. Megan Davis. Dr. Davis is a lead investigator and research professor at Florida Atlantic University's Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute. She has decades of experience in aquaculture, marine ecology, technology transfer, business, and project management. She's led a number of international projects in Florida and throughout the Caribbean, including as a co-founder of the Turks and Caicos Islands commercial-scale Queen Conch Farm. She serves on a number of regional and national boards related to marine science, including as being an appointee by the U.S. Secretary of Commerce to the Marine Fisheries Advisory Committee. From Boston, we're joined by Roger Berkowitz. Roger is the president and CEO of Legal Seafood Company, a restaurant, retail, and mail-order empire with over 4,000 employees. He started working in his family's single fish market in Cambridge at age 10, and then held a variety of roles in the company before becoming president and CEO in 1992, and growing the business to what it is today. Previously, he has served as a member of the Board of Directors for the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, as president of the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, on the Leadership Council at the Harvard School of Public Health. He also won a James Beard Award in 2017 and was inducted into the Menu Masters Hall of Fame by Nation's Restaurant News. And like Megan, he is an appointee by the Secretary of Commerce to the Marine Fishery Advisory Committee where the three of us served together and where we met, advising the Secretary of Commerce on living marine resource issues in his jurisdiction. Thank you so much for joining us today, both of you. Oh, pleasure. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, nice to be here. Thank you. So we'll jump right in. The two of you uh, have spearheaded a project that was driven by a committee, but two of you took a lead on this. Uh, over the last two years of researching, scoping out, and actually making a formal uh, recommendation to the Secretary of Commerce to establish a National Seafood Council. And I wonder if you would just tell us, uh, you know, what prompted this, uh, what prompted your interest in this, uh, uh, and, and why you, you feel like this is something that the country needs right now. Roger, we'll start with you. Thank you, uh, Bob. You know, it was interesting. Um, so, uh, as you said, all of us are, are members of MAFAC, and going back about, well, must have been two years now, um, I was, uh, you know, asked to co-chair um, a, a, a subcommittee on commerce with Sebastian Bell, who heads up the Maine Aquaculture Association. And, you know, commerce is something we want to try to figure out, how do we stimulate business? And we were looking at what had been done in the past and there was something called the, uh, the Fish and, and Seafood uh, Promotion Act. And I, we, some of us remember seeing some cartoons about what that was, 
but essentially it was to really stimulate seafood consumption in the United States. And um, so th we started to sort of think of things back and forth. And the question was asked of um, the NOAA staff, uh, gee, what could we do something uh, uh, with the, the Fish and Seafood Promotion Act to sort of re-stimulate uh, seafood consumption in the United States and what would we have to do? So it was sort of in the process of going through that that we all got excited uh, about uh, coming up with it. Probably the most excited was Megan. And so that's why she got the job of heading up the task force to try to put this thing together. Uh, but uh, it's been an exciting two-year journey and the recommendation uh, has gone through. So a lot has gone into it, but a lot of potential um, and particularly because in the seafood business, you know, those of us, you know, hear constantly uh, about the, the, the imports coming into the United States. And certainly not enough is known about uh, our, our national uh, or U.S. seafood harvesting. And so we thought this would be a great opportunity. Yeah, Megan, I, I totally get Roger's motivation. I mean, he sells seafood for a living. Um, what, what excited you about getting out there and creating a marketing campaign to try to encourage people to eat more fish and seafood? Well, being in aquaculture for over 40 years now, I've really taken to a love of seafood, both wild caught fisheries and also aquaculture. And I've always wondered why the seafood industry didn't have a stronger voice, a stronger unified voice. And so when this idea came to be and when uh, Roger and Sebastian uh, started thinking about this as one of the tasks that we could work on, I thought, gosh, this would be so great to come together and, and to start to look at how we could promote seafood and have a voice behind that seafood in the United States. I'm going to take a step back just for a minute and make sure our audience has context for understanding the very generalized approach that other industry-led promotion boards have used to boost consumption of their product. Here are three short ads from the archives that really make the point. What more could you ask for in a one and a half inch thick steak that cooks up tender and juicy? How about less? Pork, the other white meat. A new American cheese snack idea. Grill it up and slice it up so little fingers can pick it up. Cut it up, fun it up, guaranteed they'll eat it up. American cheese. Kids are up for it anytime. Words out. The tasty love is also a good source of things you need, like iron, zinc, protein, and some B vitamins. Beef. It's what's for dinner tonight. The cheese one seemed a little cheesy to me. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this idea is not new. Uh, you know, and there's avocados, there's almonds, there's dairy. You know, there's there's been these industry-led efforts before, uh, but noticeably absent from that space has been seafood. Um, uh, I, what's kind of the history behind that and why there wasn't a longer concerted effort to promote seafood nationally? Seafood, from my perspective, was a latecomer, uh, you know, in, onto the U.S. scene. I mean, it wasn't a staple of what people traditionally would eat. Uh, it was really in the 60s. Um, you know, in, in the early 60s, when there was an influx of, uh, of Asians really into the, uh, 
uh, and to the East Coast. They were coming to Harvard and MIT, and they were doing things like studying computer, uh, computer sciences and whatnot. And their diets were, were much different uh, than uh, most, uh, you know, most Americans in that much of what they consumed was seafood. And uh, up to that point, beyond because you know we, we go back to the 1950s where uh, you know selling seafood it was really to uh, uh, you know to ethnic uh, groups or uh, you religious and had to eat fish on Fridays. So and also it was very inexpensive and never the best reason. So it was always sort of cast aside. It was seafood was never celebrated. Again, when the Asians started to come in and people started to study the Asian diet and say, hey, there's lower incidence of heart disease amongst Asians, lower incidence of cancer rates, and, and longer lifespans, people started to appreciate the nutritional value. And, and then, of course, uh, you know, a, a woman came on the scene, uh, Julia Child, and she started to teach people that you could uh, take seafood and, and, and do great things with it and not be afraid of it. And, and, and so it was a, it, it, this happened late. I mean, it was pork had always been around, beef had always been around, uh, you know, all the other commodities had been around. Seafood was always sort of the stepchild, if you will, of, uh, of protein. So it was, it, it was, it really had a late start. It not only did it have a late start, but it looks like it had a little bit of a faulty start in the 80s. Megan, what's the history of why they kind of started this effort and then it evaporated by the early 90s? Right. So the, the Fish and Seafood Promotion Act that Roger mentioned was put in place in, in the 80s, and it had two parts to it. It had the part to develop a National Seafood Council and Promotion uh, Council, um, and it was funded through actually the SK NOAA funding for five years. And after it was established, the idea was that then there would be industry-led councils, um, very similar to these checkoff programs that we've been talking about in USDA. And so this could be by sector, by species, it could be um, multiple species or single species. That, uh, that never took off. There was never uh, industry-led um, programs in that. And so therefore, really, it's been 30 years now since there hasn't been a National Seafood Council. I think the idea from the conversations that Roger and the rest of the committee had with the seafood community as a whole there's definitely a very strong appetite for something like this now. That's interesting to hear. And so in that, in that first, uh, after pa the passage of the act, there was some money put forward and there was an ad campaign run. Uh, and there's this famous ad, uh, the Sturgeon General uh, from 1989. Eat fish twice a week. Your doctor knows. It's good to eat. Helps your heart to keep the beat. Helps slim you down from head to feet. Get rid of meat. Twice a week, seafood and fish. Lobster. Scallops. That's delicious. Haddock makes a lovely dish. Holy mackerel, try monkfish. So every week, eat fish twice. Try halibut steaks. Now that's quite nice. To cook a fish, take this advice. Ten minutes an inch, that should suffice. So eat fish twice a week. It's easy, tasty. Eat the official book, fish novel speak. <coughs> eat fish and seafood twice a week. Uh, Roger, I'd say that one's pretty cheesy too. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would too. Who was the voice on that? Do we know? Uh, I don't know, but it's a great one. Uh, yeah, very it, cartoonish. Go ahead. 
And, you know, I've been involved with a lot of advertising over the course of my career, as I know you have as well. And it really speaks to, uh, I think, what the, the problem you outlined, Megan, in terms of an industry-led effort is unlike pork or beef or eggs, the, the, peop- the, the broad spectrum of people involved in, quote, seafood is pretty large. I mean, I, I watched this ad a few times. I counted. There's 11 species highlighted highlighted in that ad, mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. I probably missed several. I didn't even count the animated ones. Uh, and then there's so many mixed messages. It's like seafood will make you healthier. It'll make you thinner. Uh, you know, it's easy to cook. <laughs> And it, it makes me think, working backwards from that, there must have been some really intense conversations about what, what everyone wanted to see in the ad, all of the messages that they want, and they just kind of crammed it all in there into one really uh, very busy ad. You know, no doubt. I mean, it was, um, we have some money, let's promote seafood. And, and seafood has, will have its challenges. I mean, it's kind of interesting because the first was the Fish and Seafood Promotion Act. Well, why, why say fish and seafood? I mean, that's sort of confusing in and of itself. You know, so, so seafood, you know, should really be, you know, sort of the one sort of narrowing it and sort of narrowing some messages and not to say that the messages can't vary, but you're right, to, to see 11 messages uh, inside of a 30-second commercial is difficult uh, to see and, 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 and certainly difficult to uh, comprehend. Yeah, I think one of the exciting things that came out of this was the eating seafood twice a week, because here we are 30 years later saying exactly the same thing. So I, I think that that's a good message um, to ring out loud and to see how we can uh, see if the per capita can take that challenge on. I mean, I suppose one of the frustrating things is the seafood consumption has been relatively flat for the last you know 15 or 20 years. It really hasn't moved. So um, you know, so there, there are opportunities there. And given that uh, I mean, some of us are, are biased, we believe it's the healthiest of all proteins, that people should be eating it more often. And also, there's a lot of misinformation out there. I mean, from an educational standpoint, uh, you know, doctors, uh, you know, as a rule, when, when they, as they go through their training and become doctors, they, they receive probably about two hours worth of nutritional training. It's not part of their, uh, um, you know, their program. And so, Oftentimes, there's misleading information out there amongst the most knowledgeable people. And so I, I think we have an opportunity to educate the public in terms of uh, 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 why they should be eating fish and, and, and the healthful benefits and, and the fact that uh, it's not dangerous. As an example, one of the, one of the messages out there uh, that most um, uh, doctors tell pregnant women is to stay away from uh, uh, you know, from uh, many, many forms of seafood, whether it be tuna fish or swordfish, because of the dangers. And they don't appreciate or understand that they would have to be so um, obsessive in their consumption before it did any harm. And you do more, you do more harm actually avoiding those fish than consuming. Uh, that's the kind of information that should be out there in the hands of the public so they can make informed decisions. I need to take a quick break to recognize the sponsors of the show, but when we come back, Roger, uh, I'd love to talk about the opportunity that this presents to reconnect people to seafood and reconnect them with what goes into harvesting local, sustainably caught, sustainably raised seafood. We'll be right back. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by 
LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the dunesciencegroup.com. Okay, we're back. It seems like there, there is a real opportunity to boost an industry here a domestic industry that is largely, you know, locally caught seafood. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. But people have lost uh, a sight of the fact of where their seafood comes from. You know, they just, it, it, it's sort of generic. It's, it's seafood. And, and unfortunately, they don't uh, appreciate the fact that they're, you know, in all these coastal communities, uh, that there are fishermen risking their lives at sea uh, every day. Uh, to bring in haddock, well, in the Northeast, certainly it's haddock, cod, flounder, graysole, halibut, uh, and, and what goes into it, and, and, and getting it uh, from, you know, from the boats to the plates uh, is, is something that's very special, and I, and I think that uh, we can bring attention to that, and we can be, bring attention to the fishermen and the stories of the fishermen out there, because I think, you know, uh, once the public really sees what the U.S. harvesters go through and appreciate also that we have amongst the most stringent laws in the world for seafood harvesting. Uh, it, it, really, it, it really puts local seafood, U.S. seafood up on a pedestal as opposed to some of the other product that's being imported in here. And I think that that's important, uh, you know, not for the industry really. And I, I think it's important to keep the industry alive because it's a very difficult uh, you know, fishing, going out uh, fishing is, is very difficult. And we want to keep encouraging uh, successive generations to keep doing it. And I think one way of doing it is to put a spotlight on how special this industry is. Egan, could you speak a little bit to what the current trade balance is between imported and, and domestic food? I know you've, you've looked at this. It's about 85 to 85% to 90% of imports. Yeah. And in terms of dollar value, it's one of the, um, you know, after oil, it's one of the most highest um, uh, trade deficit um, that's happening in the United States. So in terms of aquaculture, I, when I'm teaching about aquaculture and, and promoting uh, aquaculture in the United States, there's such an amazing opportunity here 
for the advancement of more aquaculture farms and expansion of aquaculture in the coastal waters and in inland um, in land-based recirculating systems and offshore cages. So I think just as Roger said, the sustainability and the practices for wild caught fisheries are also astringent for aquaculture. So we're in a great situation in the United States to increase aquaculture, increase using fisheries in the United States to help balance that, that trade deficit and that um, large amount of imports that are coming in. And the other thing to, uh, to Megan's point is that the more aquaculture you have, you, you sort of, you're automatically allowing for better sustainability of the wild stock. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's important as well because we have to manage the stocks. We want to make sure that they're not overfished. And, uh, you know, and uh, it might mean that the wild stock, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of garner a higher price point uh, as well as should, you know, given the risks and, and, the, and, the, and keeping it um, logistically from, from the, uh, the boats to the plate. So I, I think it's a way to celebrate, um, you know, what the industry is doing as opposed to, you know, bringing in product from overseas. Um, and, and that's fine. That product is fine if they're, if they're eating more fish. But to be able to differentiate, and I think that the U.S. Uh, harvesters should be differentiated in terms of what they're doing. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I, we've seen that, to your point about the wild stocks, yeah, I think we've seen that already in some places where aquaculture has gotten a, you know, a foothold where the wild capture species become a little bit more of a boutique fishery. Uh, that garners higher prices for the fishermen uh, while still taking some pressure off of those those mm -hmm. wild resources. So, Megan, in the in the report that Mayfac has has sent to the secretary with the recommendations, you know, what specifically did we suggest in terms of how this would be paid for? This took a lot of discussion amongst the committee uh, in regards to coming up with that recommendation, and also from hearing from the industry and the trade organizations and understanding whether or not this could be an assessment fee-based uh, industry-led uh, National Seafood Council, which is how the checkoff programs are all operated. They're all through assessment fees and the industry comes together and they pay a certain amount based on poundage, based on weight, based on barrels or bushels or items. So that was something that we had certainly looked at um, with the industry and, and wanted to hear from the industry. And at the end of the day, the committee came away with the message that it wasn't the time right now for the industry to come together with assessment fees. And we recommended in our report that, the, that it be a congressional appropriation of uh, at least 10 million but we also felt that it might, might take um, 25 million per year to be able to run a really robust marketing, advertising, promotion, education, research council. And a lot of these council, or excuse me, a lot of these checkoff programs um, bring in um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to be able to be effective. And that was one of the things that we kept hearing during our our investigation that it takes a substantial amount of, of funding to be able to run this properly. And if I could say one other point um, to build on what Roger was just talking about, the idea of a generic seafood council 
would be to help not only promote seafood as a whole, but it'd also be an umbrella for those other organizations that are doing such great work around promoting seafood, whether it's the nutrition of seafood, whether it's the species specific seafood, whether it's for the fishermen um, in a certain area of their fishing um, needs. But what it would allow is this, this opportunity to amplify the good work that's going on out there and for the good work that's going on there to be able to benefit from a generic seafood marketing council. Right. I, I, I agree with uh, what Megan just said. It's not meant to be competitive. It's, it's meant to sort of uh, enhance what others, uh, others are doing. You know, and, and one other uh, thing from a funding standpoint, it's been suggested, uh, is that maybe some of the funding come from uh, 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 tariffs coming in from imports. You know, that's certainly a possibility as well. And that would certainly, it would certainly uh, benefit uh, U.S. fisheries. But you know what, it's going gonna, it, it's gonna to benefit all fisheries. You know, because even if we say, you know, eat more fish or support the U.S. fishermen, guess what? The, the, the secondary benefit of that is that seafood is good, regardless of where it's coming from. So all are going to benefit from that little ball in, in the seafood cold chain, if it were. So the, the 1986 Fish and Seafood Promotion Act is still on the books. So there's, there's authorizing legislation for this. So what happens now that the secretary has, has your recommendations? So although the authorizing language is still in the act, the, the National Seafood Promotion Council from the past did sunset. And so it would have to be reactivated. And then based on the recommendations that the committee and that MAFAC voted on that went to the Secretary of Commerce, there's a number of changes that we'd like to have put into the act or into the regulating language and for instance, when Roger was talking about what the type of council should look like, what the members should look like, and, and sort of the makeup of that, um, we gave you know, a number of different um, recommendations based on making sure that there were good metrics and making sure there was transparency and that the deliverables were, were shared with stakeholders. And so there's a number of things that will, that we ask that the uh, language for regulation or for, for guidance for this um, National Seafood Council be updated. And once that's been updated, it, it sort of smooths the way for, for industry to come in and to look at these recommendations and to consider this National Seafood Council. So Roger, the, uh, the listeners to this show, many of them are professionals associated with coastal communities um, who would benefit from this for sure. What, what sort of steps should they take to be helpful and supportive of, of moving this forward? Uh, well, you know, I, I think that, you know, as we found out uh, when we did our interviews uh, with many different stakeholders, that there was, uh, uh, generally speaking, and, and may and correct me if I'm wrong, a uh, you know, real sort of enthusiasm. They wanted some kind of, of, of industry support. And I think up till now has been very fragmented and been difficult to, to get under the tent. So um, as this goes forward, we would like to continue to see people uh, come forward from the different, uh, whether they're harvesters, whether they're distributors or processors, saying, hey, this is something we really need. 
and uh, you know send in you know uh, you know their thoughts about it as this thing evolves. I think you know again putting together a comprehensive when I say, when I say comprehensive a diverse uh, group of stakeholders um, you know under some some good leadership that can that can drive this home will be uh, beneficial. So I, I I think that sometimes whether you, you know regardless of what part of the country you're from. You, you sort of support what's happening there. And I think the idea we're trying to get people to think of, of, of a more of a universal approach to seafood and not just where they're, you know, where they're getting their seafood from or how they're processing it, but be more supportive of the, of the overall uh, uh, organization because it's gonna, it's gonna help everybody. So Roger, you've been kind of a seafood marketing maven uh, I wanted to pull up an example of your work and see if we, we should be nominating you to, to run the advertising campaign for this. Um, are you going to show that one? Uh, <laughs> that, that, one, that one was debated on television. Save the salmon. Save it so our children can witness the grace and beauty of this noble fish. Or just save it so we can saute it with our fabulous lemon chive butter sauce. This message brought to you by Legal Seafoods. I think it's uh, hilarious. And a very yeah, simple message is I feel like that's the direction we need to go. Right. Uh, so we could be a little provocative, I think. But, uh, you know, the idea is to just get the idea out that the seafood, regardless of the species, uh, is, is, is certainly helpful for you and it's supportive of an industry uh, with a lot of hardworking men and women. Megan, the, the reports on the secretary's desk, what, what do we know so far about uh, how it's, it's being received by members of Congress or, or the administration? So MAFAC voted on July 1st um, and the report was completed um, and formatted um, by the middle of July. So it's only been a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And so we know that it's been transmitted both to, um, to the leadership of, of NOAA and NOAA Fisheries and also the Department of Commerce and Secretary. So we're excited to, to hear the response. Um, and we did ask in our letter that we would like to see a response that we feel that the timing um, is really, really good and that we want to keep the momentum up. In fact, that was one of our recommendations is um, to keep the momentum up around this um, because there is so much interest in the seafood community and it will be so beneficial for the industry and for the, the U.S. consumer as well. If we are operating under the assumption that in the near to medium term, um, Congress thinks this is a good idea as well, what does that look like? What is the you know, how do these other checkoff programs work? How big are these boards? How do they operate? Um, and and what, kind of, what kind of oversight they have considering that they would be uh, using in part taxpayer dollars? So that was um, a big discussion as well. We had a couple um, panel sessions with USDA Agricultural Marketing Service. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that came to our MAFAC meetings. We had phone calls and webinars with them. We really wanted to understand how they have been so successful with 22 checkoff programs that they administer. They, they oversight and they do budgetary oversight. They help with referendums. They help with, you know, moving these um, into 
actual checkoff programs. But once they are moved into a checkoff program, although the USDA continues to provide this administrative oversight, the, the checkoff programs actually function um, autonomously in terms of them having an executive director, having the board or this council. And, um, but they do, they do work with USDA. So we took this model and um, started to think about, well, how could this model come together for the, for the National Seafood Council? And we did make a recommendation that NOAA Fisheries set up an office to be able to do administrative oversight and that they were the subject matter experts in, in regards to um, you know, fisheries and regards to aquaculture, but that they also work very closely with USDA Agriculture Marketing Service and um, possibly even have a memorandum of, of understanding to be able to make um, to be able to make recommendations that they've used and use them within the, the National Seafood Council as well. You know, and, and, and stakeholders in this can be very diverse. I mean, it can be anything from, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Native American uh, folks in the Northwest uh, who are involved in the salmon fisheries. It can be uh, large and small processing operations. It can, it can be, Megan's point, aquaculture. Uh, maybe some public health and nutrition officials sitting on this. Mm -hmm. So uh, making it as diverse and comprehensive as possible, getting a number of voices in there, again, with one agenda, with, with one mission, and that's to sort of raise the public's consciousness in terms of seafood and seafood consumption. And certainly, you know, I, again, I don't think any, any of us would disagree that seafood is perhaps the healthiest of all proteins out there, and we should be celebrating it, and we should be enjoying it. Agreed. And Roger, your funny and provocative ads aside, you 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 had a, a company that is based on serving seafood to the public in restaurants, and that industry has been devastated by the the current situation. Mm -hmm. I'm, when you started this effort with Megan and the committee two years ago, obviously we were in a very different place. I wonder, right. in a post-COVID world, if your your thinking and motivations behind the importance of doing this have evolved in, in any way? Yes, uh, it's a very good question, Bob. And to, to your point, absolutely. I mean, uh, most seafood uh, is sold in restaurants. I, I, I think whether 60 or 70% of seafood that's harvested in the U.S. is, is sold in, in restaurants. And with that industry sort of devastated, the, the fishermen and the processors, are looking at one another and saying, what do we do now? There's only X amount that can really go into the supermarket end of it. Uh, I can take Massachusetts as an example. So a group of us in Massachusetts have formed uh, the Massachusetts uh, Seafood Coalition. And it's an effort to work with uh, the fishermen and state government. What we discovered is uh, the Massachusetts state government uh, has some entitlement programs uh, where they have to uh, you know, take care of X number of uh, meals in the course of, of, of the uh, year. And there was a stipulation that no one either recognized nor appreciated that they had a, that they were main, mandated first to use products that were either harvested or grown in Massachusetts. And so we've come together and working with state government of Massachusetts uh, to make sure that there is a focus on harvesting uh, product that goes right into those entitlement programs, which include food banks uh, and schools, 
And it, we want to keep people working during this period of time. But it's also an opportunity to really celebrate what, you know, the fishermen and the processors and the industry uh, itself. So I, I think that, that this program, and it's probably happening in other states as well, uh, in some ways, COVID uh, is, is, is perhaps a catalyst to get this going and, and make it more of a part, making it less of a commodity and more of a specialty item. Yeah, I, I agree with what Roger says in terms of it being a catalyst and an, amplify, an amplifier to, to really push something like the National Seafood Council um, forward. We certainly, during our interview process with the stakeholders of the seafood industry, it started in January and it went through April. So we started to hear from the industry, you know, what was happening um, with with the um, with the marketplace, with the restaurants closing down, and so and and with the uh, imports ex export type of situation, so we could definitely see that um, that there there could be a really strong role for a National Seafood Council to help in times like this. So, so I, I I think you know it's really timing, and the timing for this is really good. Uh, I I think that you know today. Uh, people are more informed about what they're eating and how they're eating it and sustainability and what is helpful. So I, don't, I think that the timing is right uh, for the National Seafood Council to really take off. Uh, and I think if we put our best efforts behind it, uh, you know, this could be something that's very, very positive for the industry. And not only positive for the industry, uh, it, it's helpful for people's lives. I mean, this is a great protein. And um, we talk about preventive medicine. It, you are what you eat. Yeah, very good, Roger. Yes, I think the I, I think the consumer, keeping the consumer in mind all the time um, through this uh, process that we just went through um, with the stakeholders came loud and clear. And um, it's very exciting that we're looking at both. You know, the National Seafood Council is looking at both wild caught fisheries and aquaculture. And there was a lot of um, unity around this in terms of U.S. seafood containing both uh, both areas, and that the that the consumer needs to be informed, and that um, as we discussed earlier, you know, to really debunk a lot of the misinformation and to just make sure that people understand that seafood can be part of everyday life. Well, thank you both. Uh, I really appreciate the time that you've given today, and then you know. Uh, as importantly, the incredible effort, the two years of hard work by you and the rest of the committee on putting this together. Um, I think it's, I agree, the timing, it couldn't be more important right now. And um, I think a lot of people who are listening would, would totally agree. So th thank you both again. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Megan Davis from Florida Atlantic University and Roger Berkowitz of Legal Seafoods Company again uh, for a great show and for their time. And of course, uh, thank you to everyone listening to today's episode. Uh, send me your feedback and show ideas to robertevansjones.com uh, and subscribe to the American Shoreline Podcast Network on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. cetera, uh, to get additional episodes. Um, and because the jingle is just way too catchy to ignore, I'm going to let the Sturgeon General have the final word today. Take care. Eat.
fish twice a week. Your doctor knows. It's good to eat. Helps your heart to keep the beat. Helps slim you down from head to feet. Get rid of meat. Twice a week, seafood and fish. Lobster. Scallops. That's delicious. Haddock makes a lovely dish. Holy mackerel, try monkfish. So every week, eat fish twice. Try halibut steaks. Now that's quite nice. To cook a fish, take this advice. Ten minutes an inch, that should suffice. So eat fish twice a week. It's easy tasting. The official book, fish now to speak. <coughs> eat fish and seafood twice a week.